Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. We are shooting on... What are you doing? Driving on all cylinders? I don't know what we're doing. We're cooking on every part of the stove. We're... Oh, I'm not I'm not quick with a, an idiom today, it would seem. Yes, I'm a little bit slow on the idiom because I'm tired from traveling. I did travel this weekend. Um, I went to New York City to do some stuff. And it was weird because I'd never been away from our one-year-old baby because she's a plague baby. And so we all just hunkered here in the forest. And she only knows that there are three people in the world or four, four adults who have three dimensions and everyone else is just a flat person. So uh, it was the first time ever that I had to FaceTime her and I was a flat person. And it was very sweet because um, we've been teaching her some sign language and she knows how to say please when she wants something like this. And when I FaceTimed her, she frantically started doing please, please. And uh, I think she wanted me to come out of the phone, but I couldn't. So... It was, it was interesting to be away from home after so many years of, well, so many months of not traveling because before that there were so many years of constant traveling. And it made me think about why I choose to go wherever I go. And this is, it's as true of staying in a place as it is of going. It's about where am I located in the world and what am I doing at the moment? And it's something that I've been practicing for more than 30 years. And it started with the infamous incident of my son's diagnosis with Down syndrome and making a decision then, uh, probably the first decision of my life that I ever made based completely on every aspect of myself. Um, the book I just wrote, The Way of Integrity, talks about how if you're going to know, if you're gonna, integrity means being whole and undivided. Thank you, Dr. Donna. And that means that you unite not just your mind's decisions, but you're, you unite the body, the heart, and the spirit with the decision you're making as well. So when I had to decide um, what to do about Adam right at the end of my pregnancy, and please, if you made a different decision, know that I am with you. But I decided not to terminate that pregnancy. And it was because everything lined up and said, okay, this is the way, this is the way. Now, after he was born, it was such a dramatic decision for me and everybody told me it would completely change my life, which it did, um, but it wouldn't have had to. Like Adam was the most undemanding baby and child I can imagine. He was so calm and lovely and content from the very beginning and he still is, but they told me it would throw my life into chaos. So I, I felt like I was in chaos. So then I thought, well, how do you find your way through chaos? And if you've gone to like my online courses or whatever, you know that I'm obsessed with this question of what to do in chaos because we're basically all living in chaos right now. It's not, the, the future is not planable because <laughs> it's too, there are too many elements doing too many unprecedented things. Well, that's how I felt after Adam was born 30 plus years ago. And so I decided on this way of living where I would treat that sense of truth inside myself like a compass. We're making a course now called the Wayfinder's Compass, which will not be available for a while, but it's gonna be awesome when it is. But I decided just to always, instead of looking around me or listening to the cues of the people around me who, who told me, all of them told me, 
I'd made the wrong decision about Adam. Instead of that, I'm going to look for this alignment that I feel. And I started going everywhere that I felt might be a place where my intuition was sending me. So and I wrote about this was the first in, in Finding Your Own North Star. I wrote about the first huge bolt of inspiration I got was that we were having some people over for dinner and uh, we were going to make this Japanese dish that relied on pork cutlets and katsudon. It's delicious. So I was waddling along past a store in Cambridge where we were living, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the most intense feeling came to me saying, turn and go into this little grocery store. They have pork cutlets on sale. And it was like, you know, a crystal ball. I was like, nothing could have been clearer. And I was like, well, that's weird. But I, I turned, I went into the little grocery store. Sure enough, they were literally just setting out the pork cutlets on sale. And I bought them and they were delicious and they were inexpensive. But I was like, really? Seriously? Pork cutlets? That's how magic the world gets? Well, then I, I kept paying attention and every little hint was something more. And I started the more you pay attention to that voice, the, the more clearly it speaks to you. And I noticed that when I got excited about something or I started to make my own plan or have my own conjecture about why I was being sent somewhere, um, I tended to do things that were, how shall I say, incredibly stupid and like so embarrassing. You know, I'd feel like I was sent to help someone and they'd be like, no. <laughs> and it would be because I was projecting something and it was just, it was a debacle, right? More times than not. But I started to be able to feel what the compass needle was actually doing. Now, you may have had this experience before. I was just talking to some friends and we were talking about when in your life have you had this impulse like the one I had with the pork cutlets, but maybe bigger than that. And when have you followed your intuition, gone to a place you wouldn't ordinarily have gone and, and got something you hadn't expected as a result? So I kept doing this. And, and when Adam was tiny, I used to, I spent a year going back and forth for one class a week at Harvard. I was finishing, I had one class to finish before I could get my doctorate. So we had tons of frequent flyer points and I would get on a red eye flight at night in Salt Lake City, fly to Cambridge, go to class in the morning, fly home <laughs> and be back in less than 24 hours and do all my homework on the plane. Uh, and there was a lot of it, I have to tell you. Anyway, my point is one day I was going to get on my flight and something said, clear as day, you will see death on this trip. And I was like, oh my God, I will see death. And I was imagining plane crashes and everything. And I was like, so I shouldn't get on the plane. And the thing said, no, no, get on the plane. You'll just see death. And I was like, that, that makes no sense. But by this time, it had been months that I'd been literally getting up in the morning. And this is what I'm going to challenge you guys to do. Get up in the morning, sit completely quietly, and feel for any action that you could take. So it could be sending an email. It could be calling a friend. It doesn't have to be going somewhere. But even do I go to this room and, and get a cup of coffee? Do I go, like, start paying really intimate attention to the, to the part of you that tells you, ooh, I want to go here, I want to go there. And it, if you start with these inconsequential, mundane daily things, then you'll start to hear it more clearly. 
and then it will be able to speak to you in very overt ways. So the, the, the thing said, no, go get on this flight, but be very, very careful and expect to see death. So I got on the plane and I was like, maybe it's going to crash. And I went, I was connecting in like Minneapolis or somewhere. And I got off the plane in Minneapolis and I was waiting for my next flight to Boston. And as I looked out the window in Minneapolis, I saw just a few snowflakes. And because I had had that intense, weird, you will see death, I was like, should I be paying attention to this? And the inside voice said, absolutely. So I just went and booked a hotel at an airport hotel in Minneapolis, just in case. And there was no bad weather forecast or anything. Well, out of nowhere boiled up this ferocious blizzard. It was crazy. Not only were people stuck in the airport because the planes couldn't take off, but people couldn't come pick up arriving passengers because nobody could drive there. And I remember looking out the street and the streets were covered with sheet ice within minutes of the sleet storm beginning. And the wind was so strong that I was looking out and I was watching people trying to walk and they were like people walking up the down escalator. They were walking into the wind and because it was so icy, they were literally walking forward but being pushed backward. It was horrific. And immediately all the hotel rooms were gone. But I already had mine, right? And it was like, uh -huh -huh. and I was looking to see, is somebody gonna crash? Is there gonna be a car wreck? What's, what's this death business? So I go to my airport hotel so grateful you can hear my dog agreeing and talking about the things she does the places she goes by instinct and the dead things she finds to eat there sorry slight diversion so anyway i go to the minneapolis uh, airport hotel sit there it was great lovely hotel went back to the airport in the morning and i'm in line to go get my flight changed so i can still get to boston and um still get there before class and I was waiting in a very long line of customers who needed to reroute their flights and as I was standing there completely hemmed in like I couldn't move because I was in this very big line that went back and forth somebody was pushing a wheelchair past me with an old lady in it and it was a, an airport attendant it wasn't like a family member it was clearly uh, an official person and he was pushing the wheelchair past me and suddenly the lady went limp and slumped and fell on the floor. And, you know, the guy was horrified. The airport employee was horrified. And he was like, he, he got down on the floor and he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And she wasn't responsive. So he got up and ran away to get help. And I was literally right next to her. I was looking down at her face as she died. And I had never seen a person die before. I'd seen dead people, but not a person actually going from life to death. And it was so fascinating because there was a woman, there was a woman, there was a woman, there was a body. It was like that wasn't a woman anymore. It was so weird. The moment the life left, it was so observable. Um, and it made me see, oh my God, we really are consciousness and we are just wearing these meat suits. That is like, as, as Byron Katie says, we... We just, um, we walk around in them for a while and then when they stop working for us, we put them down and walk away. And um, when other people's bodies stop talking to us, we just bury them. <laughs>
So, I mean, it's her sort of whimsical way of talking about death. And it actually was a very profound experience in my life. But I, it was especially profound because I had been prepared for it. And it's so little experiences like this. A lot of people tell me, I wish I could have woo-woo experiences like you do. And I wish I could manifest things and everything. And manifestation is not about, I want a million dollars, I want a million dollars, give me a million dollars, poo, I got a million dollars. It's about, am I in my integrity? Am I following the compass? Am I in agreement with all the parts of me, which I'll talk about in a second? Am I telling the truth all the time? Am I telling the truth to myself? Am I going where I'm sent by that inner voice? And if you do that, then stuff starts to manifest. Yeah, then a million dollars comes and you can't get away from it if it's something you've tried to create. So um, that's why I traveled this weekend for the first time in, I think, since the lockdown. I mean, we've driven around as a family, but I haven't traveled away from my family and been with people, you know, who I didn't know what their COVID protocols had been or whatever. And, but the opportunity came up and the impulse came. Now, here's what it feels like when the impulse comes. Um, let's say, okay, it could be something you've wanted to do for a long time. I had a friend once who had a pen pal when she was a child, starting at age seven in another country. And um, they, they corresponded for years and years and years, like every week, and they fell in love through the mail. And he was from a very different place. And she always longed to meet him and tried to manifest a meeting somehow. And then she married someone else, had children. One of her sons grew up to be a martial arts champion. And he got to the world championships in the very place where her pen pal was living. And she called me and she's like, oh my God, it's finally manifesting. I'm going with my son and we're, I'm gonna meet my pen pal. And uh, then her son got injured and couldn't go. And she came over to my house and she was like, I really thought it was true. I thought, I felt so lighthearted. It felt so good, it felt so right. And I said, is there any other way you could get over there? Like besides going with your son to a martial arts tournament? And she was like, well, I do have like 400 million frequent flyer points because my ex-husband is a pilot or something. And I was like, okay, well, we could work this a number of ways. So the next day she bought a ticket to the country, went to the country, met her pen pal. And they had this, they were married to other people, but they had this incredible bonding experience and tons of love. And it was, it was like a soul connection between these two people. So you can almost get too much. If you, if you feel like, oh, I really, I'm, my whole body, heart, and soul are leaning towards something. You can try to manifest it and make it come by magic so that you feel like, oh, now I know it's special. Or you can just do it. Like, how about that? Well, um, Ro is from, my partner, as you know, is from Australia. And um, she actually went to see Liz Gilbert speak in Sydney years before we would all become friends. And um, she, heard, she said, it's very Australian for people to be like, oh, well, I guess she thinks she can just take off around the world. We have responsibilities, a very responsible culture. And, and she heard some people talking and saying, okay, so she... When, so Liz Gilbert went around the world. I would have to sell my house to go around the world. And Ro was thinking, 
yeah, she did sell her house. <laughs> but there was, and, and in Liz's life, I've told you this story before. She said everything was a mess. Four, it's in Eat, Pray, Love. Everything was a mess. And the one thread of sweetness was the idea of learning Italian. So that's where she was sent. And she just freaking went. Find the threads of sweetness that are calling to you or pulling gently on you. Okay, so go through your life right now. And just think about everything you did today, everything you'll do this week, everything you did last week, and look for threads of sweetness, right? Like for me, it was rereading a book that I loved and then having a chance to meet the author. And it was like, oh, that's sweet. That would be sweet. And then there was a little synchronicity that went on for friends connected us while I was thinking about it and stuff. So I was like, oh yeah, magic. Now I'm really going to go. But still we had to arrange everything. I had to go to my, the rest of my family and say, how do you feel about me traveling? And what's interesting is once you're clear, like, do I really want to go check with your mind? Actually, don't check with your mind first. The first thing you check with is your heart. You enter through the heart, which is actually the biggest decision maker of your whole system. I could get into the, the physiology of this, but we don't have time. Get into your heart and feel, does it feel like sweetness? Do you feel pulled forward? Then go to your gut. Does your gut feel calm? You're looking for calm, relaxation, and sweetness, pull forward. Then um, you talk to your spirit and say, does this decision, if, if I make the decision to go somewhere, do I feel more free or less free because every decision that's trying to guide you through life will take you into freedom every single one it may scare you it may be painful it may be terrifying but it will be freeing so and then bring your mind in and say how could i do this now that all my systems are lined up and if there's a way to do it and that works it's like all right, everything's lined up, click, click, click. It's almost like tumblers falling into place and a door opening, a safe or something, and you go through it. So when you do that, what happens is that your life becomes large. Your life, because you're not waiting for something to force you to go and act. And in our culture, you don't do it if it doesn't have a reason. And the reason better be that you're gonna make some money, right? or at least have an affair or something, you know, something that is related to the things we value in our culture, romantic love, money, those are the top two. But if you're just listening for harmony within yourself and then you find harmony within the world, you start to get pulled and you get these little beautiful little coincidences that happen to show you that you're on the right path. And then some really big things like expect to see death and you see death. And what this does is it starts to build your trust not only in your own intuition, but the fact that your intuition is connected to the universal consciousness that is operating in all things. So you give up control in a way by ceding control to the compass of your body, heart, mind, soul, to your own integrity. You become one extension of an intelligence that's much, 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 much more intelligent than any human being could ever be. And you can begin to trust that sense. And like the, the friend I had that set up the trip that I did today, um, just called and said, 
yeah, this could happen or it could not, up to you. And I thought, oh, this is a person who follows the inner compass. This is a person who, who goes where they're sent. So I wanted to challenge y'all to take this week and every single day in the morning, if you think of it, or later if you get a break and you remember to do it, set an alarm on your, on your phone or something that says, check the compass. And that means sit down and say, is this the right place for me to be right now? Okay, go through all, is there a better place for me to be right now? Oh, well, it would be nice to have warmer feet that's a that's an instruction go get slippers go put on some fuzzy socks you have to it's it's like the game you're getting warmer you're getting colder you don't just sit there going all right i'm gonna have to get the whole thing on a silver platter or i'm not budging that wouldn't be sensible you have to blunder you have to go around and you have to go toward what's warmer and you don't really know why and then you'll make a mistake and you'll feel like everything goes into disarray and it's colder and then you play this game of warm or colder and you can play it with every single moment of your day and it will guide you to the most interesting things sometimes they'll be very sweet and simple sometimes they'll be spectacular and beyond your wildest dreams and sometimes they'll just be weird like that trip to boston was but there's a there's an intelligence helping us and guiding us and it's a fun fun way to navigate okay i'm gonna do some questions now hello the lovely peoples this is marty martha inviting you to a free masterclass that i have made called five paths to your purpose Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com purpose, and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. All right. Um, Kira says, I've noticed that when I'm in a period of life in which I'm particularly on purpose or in alignment, I have so many deja vu moments. Always weird little ones like watching a movie I've never seen, but remembering the dialogue. This happened to me last week, right around a big personal accomplishment. I'm so curious. What's your opinion on deja vu? Is this the same flavor of magic you're talking about today? It is in a way because that huge consciousness that's much more intelligent than any human could ever be is also outside of time. And it's not separate from our consciousness. It doesn't send us letters from another place. It is, it, we are saturated with it. We are made of it, right? We are that consciousness. And so the human part of us can't see through time in, into the future. We can look back. But the part of us that's pure consciousness looking at the universal consciousness um, sees everything past, future, and present as one huge eternal presence. When you reach the speed of light, time stops. And I think it works at the speed of light. Um, so what happens is as you get more connected to the universal presence and you drop the, the inhibitions of the small human self, you can see through time more easily. And you remember, you pre-member, one of my clients used to call it, um, odd little things that there's no real significance to. But you, what you can know is you are now connected with your larger consciousness and it's showing you what's happening through future time. And it's a very cool experience. So I'm glad you asked. 
Jessica says, when I was working as a midwife, I had a voice tell me to prepare for a postpartum hemorrhage that was this clear. We listened and were ready and all was well. It's my first memory of such a clear message. Yeah, um, when it's time to do something that's really important, like saving a life like that, it can be like, bam. The, it, it seems to break through the, the sort of veil between the mystery and us. Sometimes it shouts. Um, there was that, I don't know if you remember, there was a Hawaiian jet that took off from Hawaii many years ago and that something sheared the top right off the airplane, passenger jet, and they had to turn around and fly back and they landed successfully, but like six people were sucked out of the plane and died. There was a woman who was getting into that flight and putting on her seatbelt and she'd never had any woo-woo experiences. And she said a very loud voice said to her right in her ear, buckle your seatbelt, you're in for the ride of your life. She was like, well, all right then. And she was. The, the suction tore the earrings off through the lobes of her ears. That was how intense it was. So sometimes it comes right through and shouts at us, but that's rare. So Dr. Donna says, how do you distinguish the real impulse from an ego's desire or fear? The ego's desire and the fear will tighten you. It will tighten your mind. It will tighten your mood. It will tighten your body. A real compass reading opens your mind, opens your heart, relaxes your body, even if you're doing something scary. You'll feel a sense of that sweetness does not come in from to fear or to ego, but it the but when when it's something real, even in very peculiar circumstances where it shouldn't feel good, it will. But it's slight, it's subtle. So if your fear is up, it can block it out. Laura says, I mostly feel things in my body and sometimes it's frustrating to not understand what those sensations mean, especially if they're really intense. When intuition strengthens, does it start talking to you with a voice? It will always talk to you primarily with feelings because no words can describe things as quickly as the other sensory apparatus of the body. So, you know, one, one experience of going into a, a frigid icy blizzard, for example, like the one I talked about, will tell you a lot more than someone describing the properties of cold to you in a voice, right? So we tend to overemphasize language, but intuition is very much about the body. So you're really on track, Laura. And it's a game of you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. I have a feeling, I don't know what it is. Go different directions, see whether it feels freer or less free, tight or loose. Go towards what feels loose, relaxed, free, open, and sweet, and you will eventually get there. Megan says, what if you don't feel any threads of sweetness? If that's true, your mind is actually blocking you from part of your perception of reality because the, a clear mind in a, even people, um, you know, I, I met a man once who was kept in solitary confinement by terrorists, and um, he said, even in solitary confinement, if when he got calm and clear enough, there was a sweetness helping him, feeding him. And so it's the worst possible situation, but it gave him an opportunity to get very quiet. And he said that the quiet itself taught him that. And if your mind is very noisy and you don't feel any threads of sweetness, the, the prescription is to be still. Be still and focus on things that bring you pleasure, ordinary pleasure, like things you love to feel, smell, hear, touch, taste, 
um, I think I got one, I missed one there, but with your five senses, like focus on something that brings you pleasure or joy that is sweet in your life and it opens the door for the sweetness that your intuition and the other parts of you want to bring in. So Della says, um, is manifestation listening to your soul's desire? Yeah, I believe that it's your body, heart, mind, soul, but your mind is always the last one to the party. It may not know. Like I wanted to have a child like Adam. I just didn't know it. Um, so I always say your life is actually pulling you by the heart. And if you're really listening to it, there's a physical feeling almost of the heart wanting to go to a certain place. Um, so Buddha Field says, do you think there was a reason you had to see the woman die? That's what I thought. I thought, what does this mean? What does this mean? I kept trying to make it mean something. Would I recognize the signs of death and save a life? Now, looking back from decades later, I feel as if it was a gift given to me to teach me that my intuition could be trusted. And that was the whole reason. I may be wrong. I may like die and find out from St. Peter that there was a different reason. But that's the one I hold. And that was enough. It was more than enough. That's, that's everything. Because then you've got the rest of your life wide open. Okay, so Caitlin says part of her, her brain is constantly giving her warnings that something uh, that sometimes really do intermingle with my true intuition. How can I pull out the overwhelming fear and keep the intuitive thread of sweetness you mentioned? P.S. The voice told me to watch The Gathering Room live today, and here I am learning about listening to the voice. That's so cool. I picked up a book I'd never read right before um, we went live, and I thought, I'm just going to open it to a random page, and it opened to trusting your intuition was the bold print across the top of the page. So here's the thing. You can sometimes get, some people have like, they're very prescient about disasters, or you'll have dreams of disaster that then happen. I believe that this is part of the consciousness seeing through time, that whole thing. And sometimes you'll get a nudge to warn you, be prepared, be safe, buckle your seatbelt, you're in for the ride of your life. But the voice itself or the feeling itself will never, the thought of the thing it's talking about, you will see death, could scare you. But the feeling of the impulse, the information that comes in is always done from a place of peace. There's a stillness to it. Even if it's saying, buckle up, you're in for the ride of your life. It will never try to frighten you. It will never say, be afraid, be very afraid. You better be scared. Bad things are coming. In fact, if you look at mystical accounts from every religious tradition in the world, when beings show up to help people, you know, angels or whatever, the first thing they always say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Like, you know. The Christmas story, the angels come to the shepherds and the very first thing they say is fear not. And then they can get their message across. So our job, I'm really glad you brought that up and we're kind of over time, but um, I have some more questions. Oh, a lot of questions. Um, any votes for whether we should end now or keep going? Um, <clears throat> it's like the fear not is actually the preface to everything I've been talking about today. I'm, I'm going to end on this question because it's, it really is, your question brings up the first step that I was leaving out. 
And that is to come to a place where you can put your fear aside just for the moment. So we know this is a dangerous world, but look to your left, look to your right. Right now, nothing is coming at you in this very, very moment. If something comes at you later, it may, but it, it's not now. So put brackets around this moment. Realize I don't need to be afraid right now. Even if I don't have the rent money, even if I'm sick, even if like right this red hot second, I'm going to let myself be okay. I'm going to put brackets around it. I'm going to let myself be okay. Fear not, fear not, fear not. And then say, wonder where I would go if I got up and went. And you start to feel for the sweetness. And you get up and you go. And I can tell you after 30 years of doing this that the ripple effects that come out, that, come, that reflect back into your life and into the lives of other people, they create miracles beyond anything you could imagine. Like you really are being guided if you let yourself. So let's all fear not this week. Get up, calm your fear, feel for the threads of sweetness, and then play, I'm getting warmer, I'm getting colder, and go towards what's warmer and see what comes, see where you go. Um, because the thing that's sending you has lots and lots of delicious adventures in store for you. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm sorry for the questions I didn't get to, but we're going to be here next week on The Gathering Room. Thank you so much for coming. I love gathering with all you beautiful people every week on The Gathering Room, but lately I've wanted to do some actual gathering. And my favorite way to gather is to go someplace wild with a few friends and tap into our true nature. So in January 2025, my partner, the gracious badger Rowan Mangan, and I are running a retreat in the lush wilds of Costa Rica. The retreat is called Pure Wild Self, and Ro and I will be teaching you ways of shedding the layers of culture that keep us from being our truest selves. It is going to be so much fun. And if you feel the pull, it may just change your life. These things always change mine. So if you'd like to come play, learn, and create with us, please go to marthabeck.com retreat and find out more. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. 